Welcome, Spacers. This week on the show, we have Simon St. Laurent, chair of the Fluid Conference. We talk about the latest news in the web building world and anything else that's caught our eye. I know I talk a little bit about CSS DevConf that we just wrapped up recently on the Queen Mary in California. And just talk about some of the sessions and talks that went on there that uh, were a little bit of the buzz there. Uh, some notes. I'm doing a Kickstarter uh, for a responsive web design book and online course. It's uh, focused mainly on retrofitting legacy sites, like uh, sites that are not uh, not old. They, they can be old, but recent sites that uh, you just want to update, but don't want to reinvent the wheel and start from scratch or whatnot. But you just want to quickly add a few things and make them uh, responsive. Uh, also, just to let you know, I'll be holding a couple of virtual conferences this month. Uh, first one is user, uh, basically focused on user experience. It's called UX Rebel Summit on November 17th. Uh, it's a group for freelancers and uh, UX professionals. And you just want to get ahead in the field. Uh, we'll talk about designing your portfolio to get uh, jobs, uh, talk about tools and techniques and gadgets to gather research in the field. Uh, also talking about uh, how to influence users, uh, accessibility as uh, usability, um, and some great stuff like that. So check it out at uxrebelssummit.com. Uh, after that, it's good. we're going to do uh, a SaaS summit. Uh, it's going to be uh, for, we're talking about SaaS for CSS processing, but also post CSS. Uh, so it's really a great, um, great two days to you know ask questions directly to speakers and uh, and do that. So definitely register at sassummit.com and uh, I think also if you uh, be sure to go to iTunes and search for Non-Breaking Space Show uh, look for the podcast and subscribe to it uh, make sure you always get the latest show uh, delivered straight to you popping hot and fresh uh, also while you're there if you wouldn't mind uh, just give it a five star re- review if you like the show uh, it helps motivate me to do more shows and get them out to you on time uh, really, honestly, it's great. Uh, just let me know how we're doing, guys. Oh, gosh. Uh, also, uh, if you're a fan of the show, don't mind doing a little voiceover work for us. Um, just a couple lines, that's it, no big deal. Uh, if you'd like to record a bumper, uh, just holler at us on Twitter at non breaking space. It's uh, actually on Twitter, it's NBSP TV on Twitter. Uh, just give us a quick heads up that you'd be interested. Uh, that's about it for now. I uh, hope you enjoy the show. Like. What you been up to, actually? So, so with that, uh, I've been traveling too many places. Um, October yeah. was four conferences over three trips in four cities. Wow. So, so where did you go? I uh, saw Velocity, our performance and operations conference, uh, twice actually. Yeah. Um, saw the initial open source conference in Europe and Amsterdam oh, last nice. week. How was that? That was great. Um, there were some nice web pieces to it that made me happy. Uh, oh. So that was that was excellent. Um, and I also went to an event apart where actually I saw you. So that yeah. was at the beginning of the month. So yeah, that was great. I was uh, I, I was really gracious for the, for the host uh, to let us in uh, back door, but if you will. But uh, no, it was really great conference, and it was it was really just the event part just puts on a really good show. So and they, they yeah. weave it together tightly beautifully it's mm-hmm. it's excellent but you've been on a ship i hear yeah i've been on a ship yeah uh yeah uh, uh we went to css devconf which is our uh our show that uh e- 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 humans puts on you know, we, we do a whole bunch of 
online conferences, but every year we do the CSS DevConf for the last four years now. And so it's it's a kind of a weird thing where we actually do double blind community voting on the sessions uh, that kind of, that complement the keynotes that we pick out. So we really don't know who's coming or how it's going to go. Because usually with online summits, we do a lot of our own curating. So it's really just kind of, we don't know the mix of how everything's going to shake out. We don't know, I mean, you know, and just, we know the voting because we know the topics are, you know, how they're going to shake out, you know, but uh, we don't know how it's going to go. How it's going to be received. Is it going to be, um, and my, my worries at this point should be like alleviated because the last four years, it's always been, you know, content that people want to see because it's the blind voting. It's not like, you know, it's not popularity contest uh, like in high school or something like that. So it's, it's a really different, different beast altogether. But uh, um, we had some SVG talks that made the cut uh, for CSS DevConf. And um, we had sort of like the, uh, I hope I pronounced her name right, uh, Sarah Sudan was there as a keynote. And then uh, we had like three other SVG, SVG talks. And we just, and you know, aware of this, we just, I just made sure that we had them all kind of in a row in a track, if you will. And, uh, and it was just like a mini SVG conference. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and they were a big hit. In fact, uh, Sarah Drasner, uh, who we had on earlier in the year for CSS, uh, our online conference, uh, she won best of, best of, you know, conference because we do a best of track um, at CSSDubConf and, and she was a, an SVG talk, won best of uh, uh, CSSDubConf. So it was really just, you know, it was SVG, for, you know, it was like first day was SVG, 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 and, which is really weird because I mean, I, it's, it's, I don't think it's weird, it's just that uh, it, we have like, we, we've been, been drilled in our heads about image formats being, you know, GIF, JPEG, you know, ping, and to have this vector format almost on the, pretty much on the equal footing as the other image formats, you know, they're still, you know. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's taken 14 years for it to get there. I mean, yeah, it I started long ago. I published an SVG Essentials book by David Eisenberg in 2002, and yeah. it was a great book, and almost nobody bought it. Right. But, actually, yeah, I actually ran into him at the OSCON yeah, last time I was on OSCON, I was like, "I know who you are. You're great. You're on that SVG book." He's like, oh, "I wish other people did." <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, but you know, all these years later, I mean, I, I, part of it was browser adoption. Like, even when everybody else had adopted it, Microsoft still hadn't. That right. all changed. Right. Um, the other thing that's cool, though, is it's not just about like a graphics format. It's mm. that SVG is something you can drop into lots of different places. Mm. Um, I've been really kind of astonished to see like my original vision for it was great vector graphics for the web uh-huh. but then i just keep finding it used in animations in uh-huh. uh in styling i don't think i really want to see it used for layout but i have seen it used for layout yeah. um it's it's finding all kinds of crazy homes um i think the last time i was at south by southwest which was a while ago there was somebody showing the crazy um like geometric art that he was creating hmm. uh, sort of algorithmically, like 3 million lines of SVG. Take this Adobe Illustrator. <laughs> um, so it's, it's gone from being kind of a weird boutique thing that only a few people used for special things to something I stumble on on Wikipedia like daily uh-huh. and just see, see happening. So I'm, I'm thrilled. I 
you know, I was using it to map forests a few years ago. That was kind of deranged, but <laughs> uh, you say you were a deranger, forest deranger, forest deranger. I hadn't thought of it that way. I like that. Yeah, uh, keep it. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> okay. but uh, yeah, so it's um, yeah, so so we had an SVG animation talk as well, and um, you know, and uh, I didn't see it personally because I was just I was running around a lot, uh, or actually running around actually producing one room mm-hmm. out of track. Um, but there was a, a, a topography in SVG, like how to correct the code for SVG topography, which was, was also one of our best of sessions as well. I wish I could have seen that one, but, uh, that was, sounds pretty, pretty good. So, and, um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty much like everyone just was a big hit with it. And so, and, and I remember the old days too, just like SVG was like, you had to use a, I think a W plugin. Like yes. Was, at one point it was a W initiative. And right. But uh, you know, that kind of backfired. Well, there was this whole Adobe Microsoft rivalry that kind yeah. of doomed it for a long time. The way that I knew people were really using it was they would do things in SVG and then they would take screenshots of the SVG. <laughs> that was really kind of yeah. sad. So. Yeah. Yeah. And then with JavaScript task runners now, you can just automatically just, you don't have to worry about it. You just make, put your SVG in there and then mm-hmm. task runners will just get your ping backups, you know, for you and all that stuff like that too. So it's really nice. Yeah. And, um, I, and the thing is like, I think we're just cracking code because cracking the surface of SVG uh, in terms of learning what it can do in terms of, I mean, and why it's learning what it can do, I mean, and more in terms of what designers can do and mm-hmm. how they can use the tool to do it. It reminds me a little bit of, this is how old I am. This reminds me a little bit of how like we had Photoshop back in the day to produce images like we, like we do now, but we had to get a plugin to make GIFs, you know, mm-hmm. get like, oh, we had to install a plugin to make GIFs, you know? So I think we're in that kind of phase where like, People are, are they're using SVGs, but they're kind of like just exporting them out. You know, they're just not like they're not doing anything interactive just yet or really going crazy with the topography or animations just yet. And we're kind of waiting for the tools to catch up mm-hmm. as well as our you know knowledge for like a designer knowledge to catch up and learn what we can do with it. And, yeah, even even though it's been around all this time, I mean, yeah. it, I don't think there's that much experience with it. I think we're right. probably looking at like five to ten years for people to really figure out what it can do. Right, and that's not even assuming anything new happens. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah, I mean, if uh, the idea I had was like doing sparklines, like from Edward Tuff, mm-hmm. Tuffy's book, but doing animated sparklines, and so you just all you would need is just like you know the basic uh, animation stuff that's baked that into SVG, and then you just like ship it uh, you know with uh, you know ajax calls or whatever react or whatever uh just to update the the graphic points on the fly and then you have on the fly spark lines and you don't have to like reload your page or anything like that so i think that'd be kind of cool and then just you know do some, I, don't know. I should actually make a proof of concept before i start plumbing about that stuff but that's uh, okay by talking about it you've increased the odds that somebody else will build the proof of concept so that could be okay yeah just shoot me your github repo <laughs> Uh, another thing was uh, uh, we pattern libraries and design systems mm-hmm. were a big hit. Uh, we had uh, Gina Bolton on. She was a keynote. She talked about uh, design systems that she does at uh, Salesforce and, and and also Marcelo Summers, who I never met before, never met before but he ta- he um, I think I was the right one. I, th- I think he did it. I hope I get that right. I, I that's the right one. But he talked about zombie pattern libraries. <laughs> that uh, sounds good. Yeah, and so his talk was uh, just really great. Uh, talking about uh, lots of Walking Dead references, of course, but um, just how like you build a, a pattern library and then no one uses it, 
which mm-hmm. is sort of, which is sort of what I feel about style guides. You know, the old style guides. He's like, hey, don't use our logo this way, uh, but don't use it this way. Like, don't you know? Don't you know? Even the EIGA has this problem with their logo. Like, don't use our logo this way. It's like, and then you see all these chapters use the EIGA logo. Well, of course. Yeah. Of so, course. I mean, yeah. if you're going to provide a giant notebook of ways to use the logo properly, there will yeah. always be another yeah. infinite number of notebooks on how to use it wrongly that people much prefer. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but now, so it's now about creating, uh, you know, just repos and, and systems that just pull dynamically from your style guide and uh, your web page is updated automatically and also the API and then people can, uh, other, other teams that you're not even associated with you can just automatically pull in, um, the designs, you know, design and not have to worry about, you know, the minutia or updating it or things getting out of, uh, out of sync, you know, with, with your design pattern. So it's, uh, it's almost design as a service, I guess. Wow. Yeah. So it's, uh, I, TM in a circle. I just came up with that. But, uh, no, um, <laughs> but yeah, so we're, I, I thought it was just really weird how it goes. I'm not really sure about web components and how that kind of fits in, but I feel like for the first time web components would kind of make sense if you have like design styles, you know, with that. But web components, I get a little scary with that, but we had um, Philip Walton on board. He's, uh, he did a great talk about web components and uh, Really, I think one of a lot of converts, like Snook was there. Uh, he, see, I know, like after season the companies experimenting with web components, HTTP two, and so it was just kind of like you know, oh, okay, give me a second look at web components. And so and actually, Philip, who's a, who, uh, I should disclaim a little bit, he's actually developer evangelist at Google. So he, uh, you know, he, he threw down the gauntlet and said, uh, and said, uh, I don't know, threw down the gauntlet. I don't know. That's the right phrase. Mm-hmm. But uh, he threw it down and says, like, uh, by 2016, uh, uh, every browser will support um, web components, except Safari. Okay. I was going <laughs> to say, I hope he has a spy inside of Apple because Safari <laughs> is really not eager. I mean, I personally, I've been waiting for web components longer than I've been waiting for SVG to become a thing. Right. Um, when I look at the details, I'm kind of marveling at how tangled it got. Um, I think some of it is just kind of the classic problems of how do I keep a style sheet meant for everything else out of my component and things like right. that. Those are classic problems. Mm. But yeah, it's been a weird path. I thought last year, like, hey, things are really moving on this and we'll be able to do stuff. Um, now I'm definitely adjusting my forecasts. Mm. I still think it'll happen. I think it has to happen in some way. We've been circling around this for basically as long as the web has existed. Right. Um, well, can you explain to me, uh, just you know, in case anyone's listening, what what web components are? Well, the, the way that I tell the story is that they're reusable components you can use across different pages, um, but they're also an opportunity to create your own vocabulary for doing things. So part of the headache with HTML, and especially as you get into things like forms, is that there's this really limited set of parts. And so what's happened in the last 10 years is everyone's built their own parts. They've just done it in these bizarre ad hoc, let's use lots of divs with funky class names kind of way. Um, So we build things out of divs. We've got CSS to style them. Uh, We've got uh, JavaScript to make them run. And it's great. It's kind of a giant jumbled pileup. 
And when you go to move those things from one place to another, uh, well, code reuse is always hard, but these kinds of things seem to tangle really badly in kind of the global nature of the web. So to me, it's just making that stuff easier. I should be able to say, I want calendar here instead of having to like build out this div. I should be able to say, you know, this is a, say that I'm like running a, a bureaucracy and I have forms. Well, forms tend to have lots of parts in them that duplicate. Mm-hmm. And if I can make those, if I can reuse that stuff if, without just cutting, cutting and pasting, if I can make it so that if I change it in one place, it actually changes someplace else. If I could even do wacky things like this form, given a little bit of information about you, can go and retrieve the stuff you put in for this part of the form last week, instead of making you do it all over again or hoping the browser remembers what you did, mm-hmm. that would be great. So it's, I said too much. Um, there, are, there are lots of cool things that you can do, that you could do with web components um, as a model. Again, like once we build these things, once we just sort out the how does it work in the browser, um, it's going to take us a long time to figure out like what the best things to do are. Okay. Um, we're probably going to see a lot of libraries of bad widgets. We've seen that for years. We'll probably see an explosion of them. Right. Um, but it's really the opportunity to rethink what we do uh, for the parts of the web that we want to use over and over again. Okay. Yeah, and I, I, I just felt like um, from web components when I first met it or got into it, I felt like, oh, so I can, I felt like it's like trap CSS styles or trap things in like an in like amber and then I can move it over to my site or to some different site, but then it's going to look kind of, as a designer, like, oh, right. it's going to look kind of crazy, funky, and then um, I can't be able, I can't change it, or the, the other person can't change it, so. Right. For a while, it, it felt like the native form uh, controls all over again, where mm-hmm. it would look different on every operating system. It would look different for every web component. Mm-hmm. There's still some of that to worry about. I think part of it is we've got to think about how we deliver these things and what things we make. Mm-hmm. The amber thing is a problem. Yeah. We've got to be able to, in particular for style, I think it's less an issue for behavior. Right. Um, at least if you want to modify the behavior, you should probably consider starting over mm. or tweaking it more directly. With style, though, yeah, we've got to be able to make these things look good. And I shouldn't have to be saying strange prayers about Shadow Dom to figure <laughs> out where the boundaries are. Yeah, when you say Shadow Dom, I'm just like, oh, this is... It it does sound like a great like noir mystery piece, right. yeah. Yeah, it just it doesn't sound like a great name to win people over. I think that's like a, yeah, no. Yeah, win We're the PR scare battle. people. Let's scare yeah. people. Yeah, win the PR battle. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I think with uh, design systems and web components, you might have a really good, you know, a design system that's automatically updated, and then mm-hmm. yeah, you might win the battle with web components easier early. That's what, but uh, but yeah. There's a lot to do. I mean, I, I have I have crazy visions, and I don't think they'll all be. I don't think the first version of web components will will get us there. In fact, I'm just hoping the first version of web components survives to make it to that you know all browsers except Safari level. Yeah, like, um, I thought 2014 was the year of web components. Like Google just came out swinging, and it didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was just like, okay, great, wow. Well, Okay. Yeah, I, I've done a couple of books. We've published a couple of books on it. I like the books. I like the tech. It isn't really going anywhere. So while I was at CSF Comp, you were interested in other things that are part of Well, yeah. So 
there's a bunch of stuff happening. I mean, web, we've sort of been talking about things that are developing and, and happening in the web, but at the same time, I feel like there's kind of a a stepping back happening, uh-huh. a uh, reassessment of what the web is good for and good at, and it's not all like pile on more stuff. Uh-huh. So, like the most dramatic version of that that I saw this trip was Douglas Crockford, the JavaScript, the good parts, uh, basically the guy who brought JavaScript out of the, the shadows um, to, to, to make programmers think you could do real things with it. And he's had issues with the web for a long time. Uh, it's not that he thinks the web is terrible. He thinks it's a great document delivery system. All of those things work. That's most of what we really want to use the web for. But he's not really thrilled to be putting his bank details over that system. He's not really thrilled to be doing stuff that feels like it's a more, uh, a closer transaction than kind of broadcast messaging. And that's sort of how he wound up with all of this JavaScript stuff. Actually, it's a long story there. Um, But for the parts of the conversations that really do need to be secure, really need to be identified, um, he's not been comfortable with the web. And I would love to say that he's he's wrong about this because I love the web. Mm. But I look at the history of web security. I look at the ways that people are building these apps. I look at my own bank's website. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he's got a point. Right. So, yeah, because yeah, one of the things he, he mentions is that, uh, I just told point to me, um, was that it's the way we build things is just really tough, right? It's just like, it, we're, we build the apps that we we somehow have made, which is one of the beautiful things about the web. Like we both love the web, is that it wasn't really designed to build do apps. It's it's a document retrieval system, right? And, and it's not like an app system, right? Yeah, it wasn't really meant to be an application distribution network. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, there are lots of halfway points that it was that it is great for, um, and it can deliver applications. Um, I think part of what's happened on that is that programmers haven't really adjusted to the grain of writing apps for the web. But that said, I think Doug's right that there are parts of the parts of the system that probably shouldn't be using the current web stack. So he's he's still keeping around JavaScript. He's 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 grown fond of that one, mm-hmm. um, but he's working on basically a stack that can run alongside the web uh, for these kinds of transactions. And he started. Well, actually, there's, there's one thing he said in his keynote, that, or not his keynote, in his session that I really liked, um, which is he looked at past attempts to sideline the web. He talked about you know, Adobe oh. with Flash. He talked about native apps. Um, I can't remember if he included ActiveX components, but it's pretty much the same story. Well, like, Adobe, Adobe tried to do it twice, so with uh, PDF yes. and Flash. So, yeah. Yes, Adobe is a re- repeat offender. Yeah. Um, so... In all of those cases, they were basically trying to take over the web or a part of the web, like in a in a in a way that gave them control. And it also tended to be for the benefit of the programmer, the person creating the stuff, and less for the user. Mm-hmm. So that's those are both hard stories to tell. The web basically resists those things, as we've learned, um, and that resistance has meant those things have mostly failed. So what he's trying to do is build something that works with the web um, and that 
the focus is actually not so much on the developer as it is on the the user. Um, whether this will work or not, big open question. He's not claiming he has the one true solution that will fix everything, for which I'm very grateful. Um, he started at OSCON releasing one small piece. Um, it was kind of the smallest piece that could possibly be useful, um, which is a cryptographic library for JavaScript oh, wow. that gets you much better random number generation, mm. which has been kind of a Achilles heel of trying to do anything cryptographic in JavaScript, um, and also gets you these crazy 512-bit uh, key processing things. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, those are, those are big numbers and, you know... Looking forward, he's talking about building a system that's that's um, not just dropping the HTML and CSS side of things, but also the HTTP part, because um, that is, to be fair, where a lot of these problems creep in. Um, either the security specs aren't great, or the way that we implement them is also problematic. Um, so he's looking at going back to TCP. He's looking at... Uh, for the user interface of stuff, he does eventually something built on Qt, that Qt library that programmers know. Um, the rest of us have mostly, well, I used it like 15 years ago and I had no idea what was going on. Um, I also didn't really speak C++ at the time, which was what you had to use. Um, I don't know. Those parts seem a little further out, but the idea of creating a tool that handles a particular kind of complicated transactions mm-hmm. alongside the web seems all right. Um, he also seems, you know, he, he wa- definitely wants there to be hooks between it and the web. So it's not, it's a pretty complete rethinking, but it's also a fairly cautious, like, mm-hmm. let's just fix part of this. It's not trying to say, okay, everything's going to be in flash now. Give me your restaurant menus. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's. I feel like Adobe Flash is built for restaurants. That's what, that, like or PDFs were right, built for that. So yes, yeah, but yeah, but it's, so yeah, because Crockford is now at PayPal, right? So that yes, that, that makes sense that he's trying to solve this problem. It does, although it doesn't. He he definitely seems to be sort of doing it off in a corner. It's def, This is not like PayPal's main corporate strategy. Oh no, yeah, yeah, no, no. I think this is a nice like we're supporting this experiment. Let's see how right. it goes. Right. Yeah, and so and I'm. I, I'm glad PayPal as I'm, is is paying his salary. So, but um, and he's actually being able to work on that stuff because it sounds like it's a really it's a big issue. Like so, with security going forward, you know, with you know, I think I feel like we're America's finally getting the uh, the chip and the credit card. Yes. Yeah, so we're actually like yeah, because I, w- I I saw I went to a Riley thing and a couple years ago and I saw that um, a session on security and it would just. How there's a city in uh, Russia that just that's they're they're the city whose main uh, export is uh, whose main jobs are hacking, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like hacking people's credit cards, and they used to do it in, in Europe, and now they got the Europe got the chip credit card, and now they moved on to America, and um, America's a good like got fed up, you know, tired with it. So, but yeah, so so now it's like uh, security in our application seems like a very yeah yeah smart thing to do. I mean, yeah, because it's. So inherently, he's not. I don't know how. How would you put this? Like, if if is this is it like a, just another maturing step? You know, with uh, web components and then securing the application, or I don't know. I I think in some ways it's a calming down of past enthusiasm about the web for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not seeing this just 
I'm seeing this kind of happen across a lot of conversations. Um, A couple of years ago, we had the extensible web manifesto and we were going to extend the web forward with as much JavaScript as possible and expose everything in the browser possible to JavaScript so we could figure out how the parts should fit together. And that vision is still out there. Um, Doug was concerned last week about, you know, how much stuff we've stacked on top of other stuff. Um, my classic example is, you know, somebody's adding Angular to something that's already using jQuery heavily, and you end up with these bizarre sort of chimeras of too many teacups stacked on top of each other, as my friend Ed Dumble likes to say. There are a lot of bad metaphors for those kinds of problems. Um, of, of, and then, like, earlier this year, PPK was talking about uh, a, a moratorium on new development that didn't go over very well. Um, but no, it's it's really hard when you tell people to stop. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Stopping is not so easy. But I see maybe uh, letting up off the gas pedal in the last oh, yeah. few months. Um, really? Not that the standards bodies have slowed, but that enthusiasm is is calming. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, PBK's you know his blog post actually made uh, made the rounds at Caesar's DevConf as well, uh, just in terms of like. And I think it was in, in regards to um, web components as well. If I remember, it was a big blur. But um, but I feel like PBK's comments isn't stopping as much as like reevaluating. Hey, are we doing the right things, or right. are we just like reinventing wheels that no one wants to use? You know, if that makes sense. I don't. Know. Right. There's more metaphors for a teacup. So. Yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that that's why I felt like PBK was saying he wasn't saying like stop per se. I mean, it came across that way, but. Uh, yeah, so I felt like, you know, is is that what you're? But you're feeling people actually like are slowing down. Um, I don't know if they're. So I guess there are a couple of different groups of people. So I think for the last few years we've seen programmers really racing ahead to get any of their hands on anything new that they can and make it go. Mm-hmm. We've seen folks who are more design oriented who've had more time working with how the web breaks. Um, suggesting that maybe reinventing everything in JavaScript uh, applications is is not always the right way to go. Right. Um, there was a great uh, Storify piece. Jen Simmons uh, talked about how uh, JavaScript is the new Flash, right? And which, which I think is just like troll bait. I mean, like, well, I think it's actually got a point to it. Um, right. I mean, partly I'm enjoying like there's sort of an echo to me of. Uh, Jen Schiffer, which which was Trollbait, doing uh, you know <laughs> HTML as a virus um, and that DHTML conf, and then she was asked if Flash was a virus, and we were in the Adobe offices, and of right, course yeah. she says yes, Flash is a virus. Yeah. Um, I think the the question isn't like is JavaScript itself the problem because I don't I don't think it is. I think mm. the problem is the way that we're using JavaScript, mm. and actually the way that people are using JavaScript the way that they used to use Flash. Mm. as a way to build things in boxes that don't really have much to do with the rest of the web. Right. So, so it's sort of like they're building native apps within an open stack. Yeah, know? basically. We're going to just make it all be Canvas, and um, it, it will all be pure JavaScript, and you will not know how to find anything in it ever again. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I definitely feel like there's a JavaScript all the things mentality that I see, like especially with... Um, with React, right? So it just felt like um, uh, one of the things that, that was talked about was um, using React and how um, Philip Bolton also talked about this was, was a 
I think it's what, yeah. Mm-hmm. Atomic Blur, sorry. Uh, but it talked about like just inlining style sheets and how that, that's, that's where do you go for it? Because you're trying to, um, specificity, a, something that we want to deal with is that, you know, because we have to deal with all those uh, issues with, with that. So I felt like, I felt kind of weird just like him saying that at CSS conference. Right, but, right. Uh, well, I'm with you. Like, I mean, there, like, there actually have been tools built to extract all that inline CSS once you're done. Yeah. And then make it into something that's maintainable. Right. Um, it's kind of funny because we, we've always been able to use style equals and inline, mm-hmm. inline styles. We just knew that it was a really bad idea because we'd suffered from having to figure out why that thing was wrong. Um, and I feel like there's a whole new crowd of people coming in who haven't suffered that pain. <laughs> and they're like, but this is easy, man. This is the way to do it. Why would you do it any other way? Mm-hmm. Because you haven't felt the pain yet. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. That's kind of like Shadow Dob. It's scary stuff. But um, yeah. yeah, I just feel like uh, you know, if once everything looks like a you know, once you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And that's what I feel like JavaScript is. I feel like that's kind of like um, <laughs> which is great because I feel like um, you know, I think Node is great. I think you know, just I think JavaScript has made some great strides in solving a lot of front end problems. You know, I, it's it's amazing the last two years to see more designers want to code and, mm-hmm. and develop, which is like, you know, they have it before, but I feel like there's more of a hybrid where you have designers learn code and then um, maybe there's been coders rushing to design. I mean, I know I love, uh, I've seen a lot of people, designers, companies hiring a lot of designers now. And I think there's going to be a natural, like, you know, um, dust off of, uh, you know, design styles and techniques and design education being brushed off. Right. So, well, I think I think I see more designers picking up coding than I see the other way. Right. Um, I see both, but just in the corners I'm in, I tend to see more designers picking up. Not like they're going to go out and rebuild everything in Ember, mm-hmm. um, but more like, okay, I need to know how this stuff is going to interact with my my work, so I'll do some of this and figure out you know how to get it going. Mm-hmm. There's a real question though of sort of when you cross a line. Um, these are all vague, fuzzy lines, like how much JavaScript um, and in what style. So when we were all using jQuery to do things, and huge numbers of people still are, um, jQuery was more like you built your structure in HTML, you decorated it with CSS, and then jQuery would like help you fill in more gaps. It was, again, it was kind of like it was decorating the tree that you'd built. Um, In some of these more recent application specific frameworks it's more like you're building the stuff in javascript and yes we're using html because there's this dumb thing here um but it's not like you can approach that with a basic understanding of html and even figure out like what structure they're using without breaking out the dev tools anyway um you can't just read the code and go oh this is the headline um it's as you reach a certain level of JavaScript centricity, it's like the whole model changes. Yeah. And it's, that's the line where I find it's hard to have the conversations across. Yeah. Um, I think that may be why that inline CSS and React thing, like the folks doing it just don't notice. They, they aren't having these other conversations. They haven't okay. heard them. Yeah. So, yeah, it's an awkward time. <laughs> um, 
the good thing is there's all this great stuff happening. My favorite recent wackiness is the CSS spec for circular documents, which is meant for watches, I think, but like borders and layout with polar coordinates. And oh, wow. I haven't even heard of that one yet. So what's that? What's it's that? just a draft. Just but draft. Uh, but I'm, I'm imagining the weird things I could do on a rectangular page, laying things out with polar coordinates. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I mean, like that's a fairly simple adaptation to a new environment. Right. Um, as the deluge of specs go, that's fairly minor and calm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a lot going on. There will be a lot going on. I just kind of feel like we've reached the point where we need to stop and digest and figure out which parts of this are working and mm-hmm. why are we reinventing those? So yeah, so it brings us back to PPK. Like, and um, so, do you think that's you know that's a uh, I mean, I just people are slowing down. You think? I don't. I don't know that they actually are slowing down in their work. Actually, in the in in production work, it's always been slower than in the the standards conversation. Um, so we've had kind of a Cambrian explosion. Like JavaScript just went all over the place. The the days since last framework zero uh, kind of problem. I'm seeing less of that churn. Um, people are definitely still making their own frameworks. Um, we sort of had React take over this year from Angular as the new hot thing. Um, Ember lives up to its name and just keeps kind of burning slowly in the background for for lots of projects too. Um, but it's not as big and fast a race now as it was even six months ago, I think. And I'm not sure why. I'm not sure. I don't think it's the people read PPK and went, wow, that guy's got a point. Let's slow down. Okay. Um, but maybe it's just that there is so much stuff now that it's hard. It's hard just to keep up with what we've got. Um, so, yeah, we'll we'll see how it adds up. Yeah. I think the other place I see this is in the response to things like AMP or AMP. I don't know how you're supposed to say it. Uh, I think it's like an energy drink. So AMP. Yes, there we go. AMP. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I've so this is my. You tell me how wrong I am on this theory of what AMP is. Is this? I, I looked into it. Is, this, is it like a replacement for RSS? Is that right, or is it just like? I, I think in some ways it's a replacement for HTML, which is okay. sort of awkward. Okay. Um, I mean, they both can include HTML. Obviously, they both relate to websites. Um, you know, when I look at the AMP design, like I get that responsive images are hard. We've uh-huh. we've had that conversation a whole bunch of times. Um, I, I'm sorry to use that phrase. I'm sure you're there's on the back of your neck are going. Oh, we can have it again if you want, but uh, well, no. But I mean, but they're kind of punting by you know going to a CDN and saying this is the way it's going to be in this. But it only works if you use their JavaScript. Obviously, right. um, it's interesting to me that someone in this case Google actually followed the lead of Facebook and Apple to some extent. It said that we want to publish stuff. Great but we're going to really minimize all that other stuff that everyone's been layering on it because it's gotten too crazy. So in some sense, AMP or AMP or however we want to say it, yes, um, is following that stepping back that I was just talking about. On the other hand, it's like, hey, here's yet another way to do it. And so the pile gets bigger. So I have kind of two experiments on the table, the Doug Crockford safe stuff and the AMP stuff. And I'm happier with Doug's approach of, okay, here's a little piece. Right. I'm not trying to conquer the whole thing. 
um, let's make this sane than with the AMP thing, which I keep changing the way I say this. Um, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> which, you know, is saying, okay, we're just going to change the whole way we do document delivery. That's the part the web's good at, but it's not good enough at it. So we're just going to simplify it down. Right. Um, yeah. And I, Underneath, I think that part is all about advertising too, which right. Well, it's it's just it's like um, I think it goes back to PBK a little bit, but it also goes back to like you know I just don't want to put the I don't want to put the feet of Google, but I just feel like um, it just happens a lot more there. It's just that they come up with an idea, they wrap it around, they they you know they throw it down, they Google they Googleize it, you know they they do put design, they get some you know marketing behind it, and they just throw it out there and just see if it catches wind. Uh, well, they have, I think you're right, but they have a tricky problem that Facebook and Apple don't really have. Mm-hmm. So like Facebook and Apple are doing these things within their own systems and they have a level of control that Google really doesn't have because it's trying to do these things on the web. So I try to remind myself when I get really annoyed about Google is trying to change the web again. Damn it. It's not theirs. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, they're competing with people who do control their own environments. I can see where they might get these ideas from. Right. I still don't like it, though. So, yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I, I totally get that because, like, as uh, someone, you know, as you know, or I publishes content, and I, you know, I, I'm thinking about publishing content. But no, um, and so just, I just know that you know, there's so much happening behind Facebook's walls that you know, as a closed system, it, it kind of frustrates me. Because as an open web advocate, it's just like, oh, I just, there's so much being spread and shared that yeah, Facebook just owns all that. You know, it just, it doesn't, and it's not going to go away anytime soon. And, and Facebook is kind of like the new AOL in terms of, mm-hmm. that's what my family thinks of the internet, you know. So it's um, not all my family members, but yeah, but yeah, it's just like, right. So it's just, it's, it's Facebook and then my online banking, you know, pretty much all of you. And so that kind of just freaks me out a little bit. So, so I can see where like Google has, has some issues with, with that, but I just don't see. I uh, I need to dig into it some more because I really don't see how it's not reinventing uh, a wheel to go on top of teacups, you know. So right, <laughs> with a unicorn on top, exactly. or a chimera, chimerical unicorn, something. Okay. Yeah, the piles keep getting bigger. Um, Which is not to say like you know it's. It's not like the worst thing if something happens and no one uses it, but it just feels like there's a lot of, uh, after like 20 plus years of internet technologies, there's a lot to look back on and see where things have failed and stuff. But it's not, you know, but maybe this time we struck it rich and everyone loves AMP, you know. Well, I, I joke sometimes that basically computing for the last, well, mostly in my lifetime, like the last 30 years at least, has been reinventing everything. Mm-hmm. Um, we have these processors that are faster. We have these networks that carry more stuff all over the place. Those are big changes, but like the core of what we're actually trying to do Uh doesn't change very much. We're trying to get, you know, information from point A to point B. We're trying to run these crazy algorithms on it. Um, in some ways we're still running like in the same, the same hamster wheels. Those guys back in the sixties and seventies were, were building for, for us to play in, um, I won't go back to COBOL, but you know, there were there are ideas there that that still uh, are relevant. That sounds um, like that sounds like a country song. Uh, don't go back to COBOL. It does. It yeah. does. Um, but you know, actually, some of the vision of COBOL of like people, ordinary people being able to to work with it and read it, that stuff still persists. There's there's a lot of great stuff. 
um, in the archives, in the attics. Uh, what I feel like has happened like in the last few years is we, we keep reinventing. Mm-hmm. We want to stay in familiar context, but we're not really good at figuring out where in the attic it came from. Yeah. Um, I mean, you mentioned RSS at the beginning of the yeah. conversation. <laughs> I will get you to say it, man. It's awesome. Um, and that was, you know, it seems like a simple problem, but it turned out to have like infinite uh, complications and then creative political issues. And in the end, it's funny, like it all still works anyway. I, I use RSS <laughs> and Adam every day. Uh, right. And, and, and it's like, I, I felt the biggest thing was like uh, Safari killed the RSS button or like interaction with, with, with RSS with sites. And I felt like, well, that's it for RSS. And it's, and then Google reader died, you know, and, but it's still there, you know, it's still yeah. plugging along. It's still there. And I don't think there's any reason to expect that Apple will be much kinder to amp <laughs> than, uh, than they were to RSS. I mean, they've, they've obviously built it as a, a tiny web app framework that should run across any browser, but that doesn't always mean your competitors have to be nice to you. So yeah. we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, and then you also mentioned um, earlier this week, uh, scholarly HTML. Yeah. This is going kind of a different direction. Yeah. So, Again, we're like in the document delivery zone. And this is another case of uh, HTML does document distribution. What can we do to make it a little bit more useful for particular needs? Um, And people who do academic publishing, they put out, there's all kinds of politics. There's all kinds of economics there. I don't even really want to think about it because it's terrifying. Um, But the results they put out are fairly structured. They have all kinds of information you'd like to be able to find again. And you want to be able to figure out more than just what a full text search will give you. Uh, So what that particular group is doing is they're annotating the HTML, uh, mostly using the RDFA stuff that's been around for like a dozen years. um, In a fairly simple, not like here is all of RDF, you must master it kind of way. And... I don't know. We'll see if this actually takes off. I could see where like if one or two publishers really do something with it, mm-hmm. uh, you could get a great demo out of it that would say, look, this is the way you're supposed to be able to interact with this information. Um, HTML is more than a PDF. It can have this extra stuff hooked into it. Right. So we'll see. It, it, it feels like um, adding smaller doses of of things that we would like um instead of changing the whole paradigm so so it wouldn't be like small doses like 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 extend it like how how does scholarly html like well i think i think think, well some of the simple stuff they show is like annotating so that you can actually figure out who the collaborators on a project were rather than just guessing that you know these are names and full text search some of it's just categorizing things that are already there anyway and html even though it started out, you know, in an academic institution, right. academic papers were early in it. They didn't actually set out to model any of those pieces of the academic papers. So it's it's kind of funny to me because it's like going back and these are the things that should have been there at CERN but weren't. Right. Um, it's it's 
it's a small experiment that I hope will lead to more experiments with different fields. Right. Um, I can see lots of kinds of semi-structured content where this would be great. Um, news articles are definitely a place where this could be useful. Um, I think about conventions that journalists have used over the years, including my favorite one, which is the stuff at the end of the article may get chopped for reasons of uh, fitting it on the paper. Um, You know, how do you represent those kinds of things in a document and in a way that other people can actually figure out what you meant? So there's a lot, you know, this, this stuff is like 20, 25 years into the conversation mm-hmm. and we're still just kind of getting around to trying something new. Well, uh, to me, like for the, for this, it sounds like trying to, you know, with XML came out, you know, like, came, that didn't out, but it's just like trying to wrap, you know, XML into HTML, the whole like XHTML thing. It, so when I looked through it, I felt like, oh, this is kind of like, bringing some of the XML stuff into HTML and extending it that way. And so instead of like going backwards and then saying HTML is like this subset of XML. Right. I mean, I think that it's trying to solve some of the basic problems that XML took on directly Mm -hmm. in a smaller way. So, um, and we've done this informally for a long time with class and ID Right. You know, this thing is a such and such, and then we add behavior and styling, and sometimes we extract code to do it. Mm-hmm. We just haven't been very formal about it, and we haven't done it in ways that let us link those sections together. So, yes, I can say this is this section of a document is the author's, but what I put in there is probably not very consistent with what I put elsewhere. It's certainly not consistent with what somebody did in a different document. Um, it's not the full on, you know, we're going to create a whole new vocabulary for this and we're going to have a DTD and we're going to validate everything against it. Right. Um, it's more the like adding hints approach to, to doing that kind of stuff. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Well, uh, I, I looked very interesting, but it felt like a little bit outside my, my, my bailiwick, but uh, I was just, but yeah, I felt like it felt like more, more common sense. I felt like the approach then. So cool. Yeah, Re- reinventing as little of the wheel as possible, I think, is a good idea lately. Just a smaller teacup is really nice. Right, yeah. right. Just to put a second. Uh, I'm going to just steal that teacup analogy. So <laughs> it's fine. Uh, it's I'll be your friend. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then um, I think also just looking back at the picture, big picture of the culture of the web, and, and like we're on the web all the time, and it's kind of it's interesting to see how the web has grown um, from when I started out, like in the early '90s, to like where it's now, like. You know, my, my grandmother was was scared because of uh, Heaven's Gate, but I was on the right. web. Yeah, and so, like, you no, know, why don't you uh, thank you, Grandma, for being worried about that? But, um, but um, I think I'm okay. Uh, and so, uh, but also to see how, like, I felt like the last 10, 20 years, I felt like, oh, this is how, how America and how the world at large deals with uh, the web and the internet is going to be awesome. It's going to be great. I didn't think it was going to be awesome. I think it was going to be a lot of challenges. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, you know, like this past week is kind of like another example of like, oh, this is great. We're like uh, someone claiming to be anonymous, which is like this, you know, uh, nameless organization, uh, just said like, hey, these people are part of the uh, KKK, and just posted as a paste bin, and then then you had all these uh, news sites in quotes uh, to say, hey, reportedly these people 
are part of the KKK. And back in the day, I would say, like, if you're in the 70s, 60s, if you're a reporter, you would pick up the phone, call the mother, <laughs> and yes. say, hey, are you part of the KKK? And if so, uh, and get their comments, and then research, make sure that it kind of stacks up. And part of that would actually mean researching KKK and researching when they were involved and what time and making sure that an openly gay mayor <laughs> is not part of the list of people who are KKK. So it's just like, uh, and so now you just, I just felt like, wow, this, this news, there isn't really a news organization anymore. It's just this rampant uh, well, uh, copy and paste of a press release on the web, even more so. I think I think there are a couple of things. I mean, one is like anonymous information has always been a problem. This is just part of human story. It's really kind of strange to watch anonymous the organization trying to distance itself from fake anonymous the <laughs> wait. How does this yeah. work? That doesn't make any sense. Right. But what the internet I think this is more of the internet, maybe less of the web, but it because it connected so many of us in so many ways that you could, you know, not say who you were or sneak things around. Um it opened the doors to a lot of uh, strange conversations, some of which are great, some of which are like wrong. Uh, and it's also the other thing that it's done over the last 15 years is corrode news organizations severely. Mm-hmm. So like I, I actually bought the paper two days ago. Right. The thing that astonished me about it was that there was an empty space on the front page, like four inches by four inches, just gray paper. <laughs> and I'm like, what is wrong with these people? Don't they realize that the whole point of having this paper thing is to fill the front page? Yeah. Should there at least be an ad there? They could put one there for free. It would look less, you know, bizarre. Right. Um, so I think we've got kind of two things going at the same time. We've got the increased ability to be uh, nameless if, well, anonymous just gets too complicated to say here. So, <laughs> yeah. um and we've also got kind of the, the news organizations who, in a lot of ways, it seems like they've changed their job to be from reporting on what's happening in wherever they are to reporting on what people are talking about on the web. Uh, I feel okay. Like I, I work for an organization that reports on what people are talking about on the web, but it's the part about building the web, so I feel a little better about it. Yeah. Um, it's just something has really changed over the last 15 years, mm-hmm. maybe more in news culture than in the rest of it. It's, yeah. I can't defend that. <laughs> yeah. I just feel like, um, especially with uh, yeah presidential season getting even more hotter. Uh, yeah. Uh, which is hard to believe. I remember a time when we didn't really care about presidential politics until like months before it was time to vote. So uh, yeah. <laughs> doesn't that seem awesome? Like, I remember I remember once like waking up and there's this whole news story about that little place in Dixville Notch or whatever in New Hampshire and how they all got up at midnight to vote. Yeah. I was like, wow. And now I'm like, Dixville Notch is still like six months out, right? And we're already like six months in. And okay, what? <laughs> yeah. And it's like twelve to twenty-five people. And it's like oh man, like crazy. Well, maybe we need a presidential HTML set of annotations so that we can keep track of the conversations and like watch them over large. No. Right. Well, um, I think I was Tim Berners Lee like said like um, um, was that the, just because the way things are, 
people have to be able to tell like what's real and what's fake and get that, that BS detector. It's become a lot more difficult. Yeah. So do you think it's become difficult or, or just like there's well, so much BS out there? <laughs> I think the volume has increased. Yeah. I mean, we said the web is a wonderful document distribution system. Unfortunately, it's also an excellent BS distribution system. <laughs> right. And there are people who like that. Yeah. So, especially the, uh, how the social media headlines just great me to no end. But, uh, um, it's like, it's not what you think. I like, uh, seriously, I think it, I think it is, but, yeah. uh, but, uh, yeah. So yeah, just, just remember that all, a lot of those stories have, wait till you see what happens at the end. <laughs> We're not at the end yet. So who knows? Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, so I feel like, um, more about reputation, I think with the, the whole, uh, people can just quickly destroy your reputation. Like you had like the, uh, uh, was a PR agent who was flying to Africa. She made like right. a really terrible offhand, joke, yeah. offhand to- Like if she was a comedian, she would still have her job. If she she makes she's just a normal person who's not a comedian, she's fired by the time she lands. You know, it just. But, but yeah, so. But Twitter's made this all better now. We can send each other hearts. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I was like, oh, I totally hearted your job firing. I guess I don't know, but uh, no. yeah. So yeah. So like. Uh, I love Twitter. Uh, I love Twitter so much. And Twitter to me is the only thing that like, I guess you could say it's open a little bit more open than Facebook, but I feel like if I want to find out what's happening in my hometown, I don't go to the local news station because I have to wait until they, their editors think it's worthy of reporting. I just get on Twitter and I see what's happening uh, in Austin. I do a keyword search or whatnot, or I, I check the, uh, the police Twitter um, um, account or the fire department account, and so it's so it's easier for me to find news that way uh, than it is to like wait around for uh, broadcast, you know, local broadcast TV editor or the producer to come on come on board. Uh, so I, I, I love Twitter a lot, uh, and people always said like, "Oh, it's in tr- it's in trouble. It's not making money. It's losing users." I didn't believe them. And then they uh, yesterday they announced they're changing stars to hearts, and then that's when I knew <laughs> that was the sign. That was the sign. I was like, "What? What's going? Like uh, everything I faved is now light." And uh, that doesn't mean the same thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I loved I loved Eric's uh, talk, Eric Myers' talk at an event apart on designing for crisis. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying this is a crisis, but one of the things that he really got into there was how the meanings of things change when you're in a particular situation. And honestly, like he's already had fun with the Facebook like stuff and Facebook bringing things back up to him. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's written some good things on Facebook considering options beyond like and what that might look like. Mm -hmm. Twitter just seems to jump past all of that and said, "Hey, if we make the star into a heart, everything will be awesome." <laughs> and it's not like there isn't past conversation here. I, I just, I don't. People don't like having their uh, opinions messed with, right. and you know, favoriting was at least a little more like, "Okay, this is something I want to keep around for the future." Mm-hmm. Um, and Harding really. Yeah, feels like Facebook like, um, except maybe even cozier. Right. I felt like it's um, no. Um, I don't exactly try to say this, but it felt like a, uh, just you know, it's not the Harding the heart instead of a light favorite. 
is not for us. It's for new users and for new people. And so that's what, and I feel kind of like, huh, okay. <laughs> well, maybe it'll welcome people in. And I, I, I can see, like I've heard some of the arguments about why Facebook has historically only had like, um, you know, it does produce a somewhat more positive environment. Right. But Twitter has enough problems with negativity and positivity and all of these. This just seems to add a strange new pink swirl on the right. existing mess. Yeah, yeah. It's just like I talked to what, Elise Holiday, um, and we didn't, we didn't get into it too too deeply or deeply at all. It's just like we just talked about like the negativity on the internet, and it's just like it just hit me like there's just people just being jerks on the web for no apparent reason, you know, trolling whatever. I uh, just, you know, it's just, it didn't just hit me, but I just felt like, you know, just, well, when, when it comes time, like when it comes time to like saying stupid things about reviews for products or movies or films, I like, I can sort of expect it or for politics, you know, kind of expect it. But just when people are, are like just being nasty online for just no. Well, the way, the way that I figure it is that there's normally like three to 5% of people who just enjoy being mm-hmm. awful. This is just normal. Um, but what social media frequently does is amplify that and kind of spread it to other people. <laughs> so instead of three to five percent of people being cranky and the rest of us telling them to knock it off, it you know turns into twenty five percent or fifty percent of people who are not as cranky as the original trolls, but are still kind of like caught up in that. Um, it's a really hard thing to do. I'm, I'm having some fun actually. I'm watching. Um, social media and more local contexts. Mm. So sometimes you'll see this on my Facebook feed when I'm talking about local politics. And it's, it's interesting to see how different the interactions are between local people who actually know what the stories are. And then other people who are just like your team won. That's great. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm also seeing it in places like next door. So the, the, which is deliberately local. Um, my local next door is fairly quiet and generally nice. But I've also seen stories of places where next door has kind of gone off the rails. Oh yeah. So it's it's a really hard balance to strike anywhere. I'm just trying to figure out how it works in different contexts. Right. I hope I mean, we can yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it's, I feel like next door is great. I mean like Dave Siegel had this idea, like or like I'm sure not everyone else mm-hmm. has this idea, but like back in the early like mid late nineties about like uh, having community, like in his, I think in his idea was like uh, uh, condos and or apartments, you know, mm-hmm. also be scaled to neighborhoods where people could like share information with, with each other online because it just made so much sense that people would uh, who live together have something in common. Um, but then you know, do they want to talk to each other? I don't know, whatever. But they could actually share right. share information and exchange ideas or quickly and easy and kind of get to know your neighbors uh, again, if you will. Uh, and so I love Nextdoor. Um, I, I just, you know, and I feel like it's great. So I just want to say, like, uh, so if you ever tried Nextdoor, you live, you know, somewhere, even in a neighborhood, like, you know, remote neighborhood or whatever, just give it a shot. But uh, but but, but I'll, so far, I've just seen, uh, in my context, my neighborhood is just like, uh, I need someone to do XYZ posting. And then, like, two weeks later, it's like, I need someone to do X, Y, Z, which is the exact same thing. And just like, uh, I didn't want any recommendations. For that. <laughs> so. that sounds like, like neighborhood Craigslist or something. Yeah. Pretty much it so far. Yeah. yeah. One thing that's interesting there is they have a thank instead of the heart or the mm-hmm. like, and that sets up different dynamics too. 
Well, if they want some more BC money, they have to go to Hearts. So that's why. Oh, <laughs> no, please, no. <laughs> well, I guess you don't want to heart your neighbor. Otherwise, your yeah, part- that partner might be kind of like looking at you wrong, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, in that context, the heart might be a little too strong. I yeah, think. yeah, too strong. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, yeah. And, um, but yeah, I love Nextdoor. And so, but yeah, so it's, it's social media in different contexts. Like we were saying, like uh, how you post something and then um, people come in and just, uh, I think also, uh, was it uh, NPR did a April Fool's joke where they just posted an article on Facebook and then if they actually click through it, it would say, yeah, there's nothing here. We just want to see if people actually read it. And then you'd see people who actually commented based off the headline without actually having read it. And get <laughs> so, yes. So yeah, but uh, yeah, it's like oh man. So when you post a story and you get someone like you, you just, who's more aware of what's going on, it's it's kind of funny. So I guess it's like telling a, a joke, an in joke, inside joke versus versus uh, just a joke that everyone can get. So yeah, and so uh, and then I, don't, I have no idea where to go with this, and I'm probably not the best person for this, but you know, South by Southwest came up with uh, GamerGate, which I. Man, I just uh, Ari Ari, my partner, has like told me, like explained to me GamerGate uh, at least twice, and I think she's frustrated with me that I don't get it. Or I think I do get it. <laughs> I just feel like seriously, like I it's, it's like guys aren't letting women play video game. I just I, so I just I don't really, and I don't be like, so yeah. So I don't know. But then like, but the, I don't get I don't get GamerGate. I just feel like. Like it was like, oh my gosh, seriously. Uh, well, I think it's another case where you've got a small group of people who get loudly amplified. Yeah. So that's the the dynamic that drives the whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really understand the way it plays with South by, and I, I haven't been to South by in a few years, so I'm I'm kind of well, out of touch. But well, let me tell you, Simon, that I guess from my understanding, like South by had two panels. Uh, there were threats. I mean, I don't know some, yeah. some weird thing. Uh, so sub I canceled them or pulled away from them. And then um and then they said like, oh, they had a backlash, which is what you know somebody doesn't need. Um and sponsors or people were starting to pull out. And then they decided to do an online harassment like day track or I'm sure it's a it's a it's a, a I'm not right. sure what the scope was, whether it was gonna be one track or one day dedicated to it, which is like either way, uh positive win and then apparently which is great i thought it was awesome it's finally like you know you know i mean hey you know like, i thought stuff is like actually kind of reflecting the culture of the internet a little bit better than it has been you know it's not just all accelerators and uh wearable tech and so i felt like okay this is great uh but then they, apparently they asked people who made threatening comments i guess to be and so to be part of it and so i was just like and i feel like that's on one level, that'd be great. They were all tolerant of each other and and so that. But yeah, so I just feel like you know, we should all just hash things out. But then people like and like I said, understand people like feel uncomfortable. Like, hey, what are you doing? Like, we're bringing this back and forth. So yeah, you're sort of rewarding trolls. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So like, and we have Nicole Sullivan, who's excellent keynote with mm-hmm. I think that Oscon. Like, don't feed the trolls, which is like you know, you know, it's the title of the talk, right? Don't feed the trolls. So and. um so I feel like South by's intentions are good, and I feel like they're they're working things out. But it's it's a space that it's uh, not really tricky, but I feel like they have to like 
put more eyeballs on the situation, if you will, and, and be more concerned than they just can't, uh, not to say that they aren't, just, they just have to like be a little bit more mindful of how they walk. So yeah, they need to spend some time in there. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. And I, I hope they stick to it. I feel like I feel an online harassment track is a place where stop by, uh, yeah, I feel like said Nixon going to China. I feel like uh, it'd be great for stop by to pull it off, you know, after all this, this, um, blow up in their face the last couple of weeks or so. So I hope they, I hope they do it. And, uh, I know I'll probably go to it just to see, see how they pull it off. The story's not over yet. Let's see yeah. how this one ends. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then, uh, I guess like the biggest news, uh, came on Monday and, uh, uh, just in CBS's own the internet, I think personally, just by announcing on like a new Star Trek TV show is coming out in 2017 january so it's coming out new, new tv show new star trek it seems so, to be only on their streaming service if i have that right how is this working uh so so they're gonna so cbs is gonna broadcast it on their fine uh, affiliate networks across america uh just like you would csi or uh, okay five o. so you'll be able to watch it on uh, like uh, i guess hd over the air you know your tv station whatever your cable provider, what, what have you. And then, uh, because you are a subscriber to CBS All Access, whatever their app is called, mm-hmm. uh, you can watch it, we, we, we watch it uh, whenever you want on their, their app. Okay. Which is like, yeah, it's like, which goes to the whole conversation. Is like, uh, and uh, I just had a little field day with their press release because uh, it was TV executives, you know, being all amped. <laughs> or, uh, for Star Trek, I was like, yeah, it should be great. You'll be able to watch it on TV. Like, yeah. And you'll be able to watch it uh, in our app, which no one goes to. And I was like, well, that's that's kind of one metaphor for space where like it's empty and no one's there. But uh, but yeah, so I guess, uh, I don't know. I just feel like, uh, but basically, I think the bigger picture is that uh, I felt like there's other articles I read this week, which is how uh, TV... Um, networks who own all these old shows uh you know we're happy to take netflix's money to uh stream and broadcast all their old shows on netflix's service so like and then uh, there's like you know people would be able to which is great because the service was like uh, people were able to binge watch um breaking bad yes. and you caught the speed of breaking bad and breaking bad became this like cult hit you know with especially like fever pitch uh, everyone's like big fever pitch with uh, season five of Breaking Bad, and uh, you can see this with like all sorts of other shows. So, so it actually helps out shows as well. But um, they're they're like just losing um, at all the broadcasts uh, who own all these old TV shows. Realize that Netflix is building their brand awareness off their old content, even though they're being paid for it. They felt like, oh well, we need to uh, actually uh, bring back our old shows, and then. Um, and then start running ads, you know, TV, like TV ads, like you no know, TV ads, but internet ads, if you will, video ads. On our own. It seems like the networks don't mind as long as Netflix is just free extra money. But as soon yeah. as it becomes something that is actually a threat, then right. suddenly they got to do it themselves, but they haven't learned anything from what Netflix did. Yeah, but there's uh, Hulu is owned by like what three yeah. broadcasters. So, so it's not like they have to reinvent the wheel. I felt, and then, and in fact, they actually tried to sell Hulu several years ago and no one bought Hulu. Right. So it was just like, and now I think they were really happy. No one bought Hulu, but, uh, 
and I'm a, I'm a, I, I love Hulu a lot. So it just uh, uh, it's felt like um, yeah, they're gonna play a little catch up in terms of each one getting their own own channel, and that actually depresses me as a, as a consumer uh, because the Apple TV, the new Apple TV is coming out. Uh, this should be I have not installed it yet because it has not shown up yet, but uh, but the idea is, is that you know channels are now apps on your Apple TV, which just depresses me so much because I would just love to go and yeah. um, you know just go to Netflix or go to Hulu or just have one shop, just a uh, big shared catalog, right? Yeah. And, and people are and broadcasters are actually like Hulu better than Netflix because actually they actually brand the show with a little like the little logo bug in the lower right hand corner with either the local affiliate or uh, like ABC logo in the lower corner or like NBC logo, whatever. And so that there's actually some brand awareness as to like, oh, this show comes from NBC or this show comes from CBS or what have you. So, but yeah, and then uh, what's the other thing, the other issue with uh, CBS? Oh yeah. The other issue was like, oh yeah, this would be great. Cause this could be uh, 2017 in January. The Star Trek show is coming out on the, there's no better time than on the heels of the 50th anniversary. And I was like, it would actually be play way better during the 50th anniversary. Right. Why would you do it on the heels of? Yeah. <laughs> so like, I'm pretty sure this sounds great on the press release. We know one reads it out loud, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, yeah, so, yeah, so I think it's Star Trek's going to be great. Uh, Star Trek new show. Uh, I think it's inspired a lot of, a lot of nerds, a lot of programmers, a lot of designers out there mm-hmm. working on them today. So I'm really happy that they're coming out with a new show for Star Trek. And also I feel like this plays well with, um, uh, the whole like Marvel Cinematic Universe, where you know you have the Star Wars, you know Disney bought Star Wars, and then we have. Uh, I mean, there's, someone needs to write a book uh, next year or whatever about the marketing prowess and what went into marketing this new Star Wars movie because it is unrelenting. Uh, just there, and there's nothing bad. Like no one is. Uh, no, there's no backlash yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's. The Star Wars marketing, which is well, actually, I've seen some backlash, but it's mostly from people who don't like Star Wars anyway. So yeah, so they have to wait till 2017 to get the Star Trek. Totally understand, but uh, so, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I just haven't really seen that much of the backlash. But I just, it's kind of crazy. I feel like it's amazing. But anyway, so Star Trek, I think um, CBS and Paramount just they just need to get uh, some of that Marvel cinematic, you know, Star Wars cash and just have like, you know, I could just you see CBS in the future just like have us. CSI CSI shows as much as they have like five or four mm-hmm. CSI shows. they have like four or five Star Trek shows and you know well Trek. I feel like we had that kind of in the nineties there were three going at once maybe they reached four but no yeah they sort of had like a little overlap but uh, yeah but uh, you know, I don't know there's Voyager that's and reruns and yeah. reruns yeah well that's where they made the money right that's where they um, I'm not really sure the story goes but yeah so yeah so it's and Enterprise and Voyager, I don't know, whatever. Okay, sorry. But, uh, That's all right. We'll yeah. see how it all works out. Uh, this is nice, but yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so I'm really happy with that. So that's, that's about it. Uh, is that it? Anything else? Anything I think that's lots. So, I mean, oh, sorry. Are you not a Star Wars fan? I'm sorry. I don't want to like no, no, I'm a Star Wars fan. I, I, I don't, I'm not a deep Star Wars or Star Trek fan, but I know like. Oh, yeah. Both of them. I grew up with Star. Well, I grew up seeing Star Wars in the theater and Star Trek as reruns, and mm-hmm. so it's just kind of like keeping up with it. the The one thing that's a little awkward to me is I wish that like Hollywood have would have some new ideas. I was talking earlier about how in computing we're recycling all this stuff from the '60s and '70s, and mm-hmm. we're not alone in that. Hollywood <laughs> has totally been doing that for like the last well forever. 
right. since they realized that sequels were easier to sell. Right. I mean, and then like uh, DC Comics is owned by Warner Brothers, and and so they actually were um, they moved their offices from New York to uh, California. I think with the express written, uh, you know, the whole writing on the wall is like you have almost a hundred years of stories mm-hmm. of comic books, and we have no ideas <laughs> for stories. It makes, it's a good match, yeah. yeah. So, and then the, like, so there's a Flash TV show, and it's just like they're just kind of just going through the whole back catalog of Flash stories and just putting them on TV, which is, you know, I'm not complaining, but uh, no, but it just feels like well, it's kind of. This isn't really cheating since you own the material. I guess it's not plagiarism. I guess, but uh. well, it's fun watching it with my kids too. Because, like, you know, Thomas the Tank Engine is now like seventy odd years old, and yeah. they still are going back to the original like nineteen forties and fifties stories. But then they also feel like they have to do something new. So, how do you like develop something new out of that? Mm-hmm. It's it. I don't know. I, I'm trying to find sophisticated stories to think about while I'm watching Thomas the Tank Engine. I'll admit it, but, <laughs> but the way that they sort of deal with both of those things is 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 complicated. Um, and even like some of the stuff where, like in the early books, the, the trains go on strike. Yeah, and you know, like that's tricky. How do you put that into the adventure begins without creating all kinds of strange new political things? And yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Uh, Take the old stories and rebuild them and make them was today. There, was, there a, was there a crossing the picket line story in Thomas the Engine? I never heard of it. Um, not exactly. So some, of the, some of the engines, well, the engines are always kind of misbehaving, but at one point they get really uh, fed up with shunting their own cars. And so Percy comes in in the end to shunt the things. But mm. I, yeah, I'll have to look up the full story because I'll botch it. It's it's more complicated than like seems normal for like a cartoon for five year olds. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, five year olds can take it. I don't know. They can take some. Maybe we need some political discourse from five years old. Five year olds. It might be a way to get people at least thinking from an early point. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Where can people find you on the on the internet? Uh, most easily on Twitter, S I M O N S T L. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also, uh, on the O'Reilly.com pages, uh, pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. Uh, my own website is pretty quiet at the moment, so I'll, uh, leave mm-hmm. that out. Well, let me give a shout out to our promote, uh, Oscon is coming to Austin, which is my home Yes. Page. So, uh, I just, uh, I will submit a talk. So I want other people who are listening, they're interested to submit a talk. Uh, they call the papers ends on, uh, mm-hmm. November 24th, right? Yes. A few weeks. But you're also a chair of uh, Fluent. Yeah, I'm no longer chair of OSCON. I'm you're still on the program committee. So yeah, I'll be yeah. eager to read people's stuff. Yeah, and I'm, <laughs> yeah, and I'm co-chair of the Fluent uh, conference, mm-hmm. which will be March uh, 8 through 10 in San Francisco. Okay. Um, we're doing training, too. That's something else we've added. It's not just a conference. There's like two-day training on the front of it. So Cool. Awesome. Lots yeah. of that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, then that's, definitely check it out. Cool. Awesome. Thanks so much, Simon. Great, thank you.